0: Welcome to the Parental Compass by Family Education and Support Services. I'm your host, Bobby Williams. Subscribe to the show. Any platform lets you do it. We'll notify you each week when the episode drops. Addiction is extremely prevalent in our society. It's not something you would want for your child. There's a lot of risk factors out there. Some of them aren't as obvious as you would think. Our guest today is a writer for The Atlantic, The Washington Post, The New York Times, and author of the best selling book, The Addiction Inoculation, Jessica Leahy. Jessica has had her own challenges with addiction and has spent years researching this issue. Jessica releases daily videos on preventing addiction, they're only 90 seconds long. You can find them on Instagram at Teacher Leahy or on TikTok at Jess Leahy or go to JessicaLahey.com for more information. Jessica has some amazing ideas. Let's get into it. You take a very hard line on no drinking until you're 21. What about like the European model of like let them drink a little. And then by the time they turn 21, they'll be more ready and prepared. And it's less of a shock.
1: Well, it's funny when you say I take a hard line, I think I take my guidance from the research. So, you know, the nice thing I have basically the coolest job in the world, which is to get curious about a topic, research the heck out of it for a couple of years, be as objective as possible. I happen to be married to a statistician. So that helps. He helps me with, you know, anything. Uh, the studies. And, you know, I came out of those two years that I spent doing the deep research for prevent on prevention science for drug and alcohol uh, for substance use disorder and where the evidence comes out. It's really, really clear The parents that have a consistent and clear message of no, not until wh- whether you want to say not until it's legal for you or from my perspective, what's more important is not until your brain is done developing Um, those parents have kids with much, much lower levels of substance use disorder. And so that, and then the problem with the European thing is there's a couple of arguments I get. Uh, Well, what about the European thing? You know, I really, I thought it was important to introduce my kids to alcohol so that they don't go crazy when suddenly it's around and they, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the theory there is that somehow we can teach kids moderation. Um, and for people who are predisposed to substance use disorder like myself, I can't learn moderation. That's just not a thing. The other problem is if I'm going to hold up one area of the world as being the romantic ideal of, um, you know, substance uh, of alcohol intake, it's not going to be the European Union because the European Union not only has the highest level of uh, the highest alcohol intake intake, as a whole in the entire world, it also has the largest percentage of deaths attributable to alcohol intake in the entire world. So there seems to be, and and I'm all in on the romanticism, I cop to it in the addiction inoculation, like it's a thing to have this romantic ideal that you want to cling to. And that's how I raised my oldest kid. But then I learned What actually works to reduce my kid's risk for substance use disorder. And then I went to my younger, younger kid, my daughter, and I said, Look, uh, I, I know your brother got to, you know, have sips and have his own glass of wine and stuff like that. But you know, as well as I do what the research says, because we talk about it all the time at dinner. Um, So if I were to do anything other than have a consistent and clear message of no, not until it's legal for you or not until your brain is done developing, you know that I would be saying, oh, yeah, I know what the research says, but this is just easier for me. Or I just really want to buy into this romantic ideal. And, And she would know that I was doing less than you know, I was doing something other than sort of best practices for what works for uh, to to lower her risk for substance use disorder.
0: You talk a lot about risk factors and there can be mm-hmm. risk factors and that it's important to talk to your children about it, not just mm-hmm. put under the rug. Explain that a little bit.
1: So I am an alcoholic myself. I have nine years of recovery and my I was raised by a parent who has alcohol use disorder, and one of my parents was raised by a parent who had alcohol use disorder, and so on and so on and so on. And it's on my husband's side of the family as well. So my kids were born with a genetic predisposition for substance use disorder. And and it looks like, you know, that doesn't mean that they're going to have substance use disorder. Um, It just means that they are at increased risk. And we think that genetics are about 50 to 60% of the risk picture. So I really don't have any ability to say, oh, no big deal, not my kids, you know, and ignore it or brush it under the rug with that kind of thing. So we have to talk about it. And from my perspective, if my kids are at increased risk, we have to not only talk about you know, the risks of using and the what it does to your brain. Adolescents' brains are different from adult brains. Adolescent use is more dangerous than adult use, that kind of stuff. But they need to know that they are more likely to slide into substance use disorder from regular sort of, you know, social use. And talk about what that feels like, what that looks like, um, you know, what, what warning signs to look for. And they need to also specifically understand their individual risk. So not just the genetic risk, but for example, my younger child is not only, um, you know, born to someone with substance use disorder uh, has, you know, uh, she's trans and that raises her risk for substance use disorder. Uh, There's a whole bunch of individual risks that we have to talk about when it comes to that. So you know, for example, if my kids were really involved in some of the sports that are implicated as high having the highest risks of substance use disorder, hockey, wrestling, lacrosse and football, then we would have to have those conversations. you know, um, by the way, you're spending most of your time around people that are at a much higher risk of substance use disorder than other people. so let's talk about that or if their friends were using that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I think when we think about alcoholics, sometimes you can think like, okay, this person had a lot of trauma, but there's less obvious things that can be risk factors.
1: It's great. I'm so glad you said that because, yes, trauma is very much a part of the picture. If you want to understand more about trauma and uh, substance use disorder, go read Gabor Mate's In the Realm of the Hungry Ghosts or um, Nadine Burke Harris's The Deepest Well about the impact of adverse childhood experiences on um on kids risk for substance use disorder there's fantastic books but that's only part of the picture but there's things like um academic failure social ostracism um you know not to mention the adverse childhood experiences like losing a parent divorce and separation you know an incarcerated parent a parent who uses drug and drugs and alcohol that kind of stuff um and the cool thing about my getting to go out and speak to people about this is that I make it really clear that it's really important that we separate the shame and guilt from those risk factors. Like, I could wade in the, you know, I could wallow in the guilt of the fact that I have raised my children's risk for substance use disorder in a bunch of different ways by being who I am, um, by having the genes that I have, by moving right before my kids started high school and raising her risk of substance use disorder in that way. Um, Or I can say, oh, these are my kids' risk factors let's target the prevention or or sort of protections a little more accurately for my own kids so you know i'm never ever going to say you know yes separation and and um and divorce is a risk factor for substance use disorder but there is a huge, great, you know, a huge uh, sliding scale of how this get, that can also be really beneficial to kids. If you're getting out of a bad relationship where abuse is mm-hmm. is happening, you're actually protecting your kids. So there's there's all this gray area where substance use dif- disorder is concerned, and we need to be able to talk about it and not just feel guilty and shame uh, shameful about it.
0: Well, I liked your metaphor in the book of the scale or the scale of justice. And mm-hmm. on one hand, you have the risk factors, and then you have the protective fa- factors as the counterbalance. But how do you build up those protective factors then?
1: Um, well, and side note, I'm uh, you know I went to law school and never practiced, so I need to you know use that knowledge somewhere. I suppose um, the the whole idea is. And it's, they're really specific in the book. Like if your kid is, uh, you know, dealing with uh, academic failure, and that's a really big risk factor for substance use disorder. Then your your protections are going to be things like intervention for that, finding out if they're dealing with a learning issue, getting them support around that learning issue, making sure that they have, you know, a plan in place with their school. Whereas if your um, kid's risk factor is you know separation or divorce, then you're going to have different ways of dealing with that. And then the you know and knowing what uh, substance use disorder or substance use um, prevention education they're getting in school. There's, uh, you know, only 57% of the schools in this country have any substance use prevention program. And of that 57%, only 10% are, um, are, Uh, Evidence based so knowing sort of what's available out there and taking advantage of what's out there and there's so much more out there than we know about and so many more allies available to us school counselors pediatricians school nurses all of these people that have a ton of resources available. um, that we hardly ever tap into because you know I don't tend to think of my kids pediatrician as one of my allies in preventing substance use disorder but they absolutely are well so
0: there's all these commercials about like talk to your kids (laughs) but I think the greater question or the deeper issue there is how do you talk to your kids like that's very specific and makes a huge difference
1: yeah and Talking to our kids about this stuff doesn't start like in middle school. If we're starting in middle school, we're way behind the eight ball because kids start using. That's the average age of initiation is somewhere around 13.5. So we need to be thinking a lot sooner than that. And one of the things I learned from touring and doing a lot of speaking with the gift of failure, my first book is that, um, a lot of parents were like, yeah, but tell me exactly what to say. So in the addiction inoculation, there's a lot of scripts because, um, a friend of mine, Peggy Ornstein, she writes about, um, sex ed with kids but she wrote two fantastic books uh, boys and sex and girls and sex and she gets the same question all the time like yeah but these are nerve-wracking challenging conversations so please just tell me what to say and so she and i both you know on it over and over again we talk about the fact that these difficult conversations get easier the more we have them and if we're having them in a starting young in a really age appropriate developmentally appropriate way They're actually not that as hard. Um, They really do get easier the more often you have them. In fact, it's pretty common for us to talk about substance use in in our home. Um, We do it a lot. And, you know, by comparison, I'm not as good as Peggy Orenstein about the sex conversations. Those still are hard for me because that's not my wheelhouse. And we don't have them as often as we have the substance use disorder questions.
0: Well, it sounds like for even you, that was kind of a progression. Uh, Yeah. You know, it's a little nerve wracking to talk about. And now you're wearing T-shirts (laughs) wrapping.
1: Yeah, I've got a I have a wonderful shirt that I love that uh, a friend of mine, Daniel Patterson, gave me called um, that says normalized recovery on it. And yeah, I do. I do try to. Plus, I'm up there on stage on a regular basis saying, hi, I'm Jess. And and uh, the reason I talk about this stuff is I'm an alcoholic. And I was in a school actually last week. And I whenever I'm in a school talking to the students or teachers and parents, I give everyone my email address and I get the coolest emails from kids. Um, I was not at that school to talk about substance use disorder. I was there to talk about gift to failure, but I gave them my email and I said, feel free to email me about substance use disorder or substance use or if you're worried about yourself or someone else. And I, my inbox just filled up with kids concerned about various aspects of, um, you know, addiction, substance use disorder, that kind of thing. So kids have lots and lots of questions. And I think it's just a matter of making that conversation more comfortable so that we can talk about these things. Or if you can't do it yourself as a parent, you feel like it's just not something you can do, making sure that they have someone they can talk to about it and get the right information from
0: mindfulness is really important for you yeah. and um explain mindfulness what are some good practices you can do with your children and what if they just don't want to do it
1: yeah so i think it, backing up it's it's important to understand that you know a lot of kids turn to drugs and alcohol because they're feeling feelings that are just really too much for them or too scary for them or just overwhelming. And um as I highly recommend Do- uh Dr. Dan Siegel's work on um mindfulness and his books like Aware or Mindsight. Um It's not so much that like I'm a big meditator or I expect my kids to be big meditators or big into mindfulness, but we do need to be talking to kids about the fact that their brains are not done developing, that what they're in the middle of is a period of their life when... Some feelings are going to be really big and really overwhelming because that's during adolescence uh, stress feels more stressful it's just the way because their brains. The upper brain part of their brain is not done developing and the lower brain part is more active and so their amygdala sort of on high alert all the time so big feelings feel big and stressful and scary and. Here are some ways that we can sort of manage those uh, emotions or name those emotions so that we can deal with them. So partly that requires us modeling that for them. You know, yesterday I had a really bad day. It's just, it wasn't a great day and it wasn't for any one particular reason, but I took time for myself in the afternoon to stretch and to sort of have some time alone and listen to a book I wanted to listen to in order to manage those feelings. Um, So modeling that for kids, giving kids tools. um, I did, as I said, in addiction inoculation, did ask my younger kid to do um, some Uh, mindfulness stuff with me, some uh, Dr. Dan Siegel's uh, mindfulness exercises. And she found some she liked and some she didn't like. So, you know, it's not so much that I'm expecting all kids to have a really dutiful daily mindfulness practice. We just need to be talking to kids about how their brain works, the fact that they have a lack of integration uh, often until uh, adolescence is finished and their brain's done developing. And here are some tools to help with that.
0: I think the hard thing for a lot of parents too is when you send your child to college it's like a lot of partying <laughs> in college yeah, yeah. and your brain's not done developing yeah. so don't smoke too much weed and give yourself brain damage <laughs> you know
1: I actually almost didn't even put a college chapter in the book because I thought you know why bother I'm sort of of the generation you know animal house that's what college is all about <laughs> turns out that far fewer kids drink and use in college than we than the media, the movies, excuse me, the media and lots of other things would sort of lead us to believe. And it turns out that it's highly, it's really easy to predict based on your kid's interest, your kids, uh, where they're going to live, what activities they're involved in. It's really, and, and they're, uh, their socioeconomic status and their ethnicity and whether or not they're on scholarship. There's so many ways to predict whether or not a kid is likely to be a big drinker and, or a big user in college, and then talk to your kids about those things. I'm not saying, you know, it's it, there are very specific ways to reduce drug and alcohol use during college, and they're all manageable things that parents can talk to kids about. And I give scripts for that as well in the book, in the college chapter
0: we covered a lot of ground in around 20 minutes. I wish we had like (laughs) an hour and a half because there's so much to get into. Uh, Any closing thoughts?
1: You know, I think a lot of parents are feeling like they're either starting too late or um, they just don't know where to start. And I think owning that we all start from a place of just wanting to do the right thing and just wanting to be the best parents we can be. And so if we go to our kids and we say, you know what, I think either I haven't been doing this right, or I'm a little behind the eight ball on this, or I've been over-parenting you, or I've been not giving you enough credit for being competent, and I learned some stuff and I want to do better. And so here's how I'm going to change. I think anytime we do that, we're modeling for them exactly what we would want to see from them, which is doing the best we can do based on the information we have and if we learn to do better than saying giving a mea culpa and moving on from a place of better information trying to be the best we can be
0: well thanks so much for being here today
1: of course this was really fun
0: thank you jessica the book was a great read we appreciate you taking the time this has been the parental compass by family education and support services i'm bobby williams We'll see you next week. Peace.